wife, my wife just asked, are these real things? Thanks for not, ha- for not having ecclesiophobiology or whatever and for coming to church today. We begin this morning, brothers and sisters, to the church at Fondren, 11 o'clock, grace and peace. We begin a new sermon series called Fear. Someone grabbed me between the 9.30 and 11 and told me about their newly discovered anxiety disorder. Very real for them, and I comforted them by telling them they're one of 57 million Americans uh, struggle with this. And look, this is we one sermon. It's our introductory overview sermon on fear. I'm not going to be able to say it all today, but we are going to get to some really good things. What's the most common commandment in the Bible? Do you know? Guess. Do not fear. The most common. And so one of the things we do, we look through books of the Bible. Uh, we look at character sketches. We look at big, important themes. And the theme of do not fear is paramount. It is a big one. No emotion is as immobilizing and paralyzing as fear. You'll see the uh, subtitle to our sermon series, Fear in an Age of Anxiety. Uh, there's a, actually a book, a Pulitzer Prize winning book written long ago called The Age of Anxiety. Now, check this out. It was written in 1948. Think about that. If the 40s and the 50s were an age of anxiety, I would submit to you that the, our modern age is one of hyper-amped-up, ultra anxiety. We're living there today in this. Every study reveals such. Every credible study reveals such. Well, I spent this weekend in New Orleans. I went to New Orleans for WrestleMania. Anybody believe that? No, I went to New Orleans for a wedding. I did go to Atlanta seven years ago for WrestleMania, but I have grown and matured in the Lord and would never do that this day. But I went down to New Orleans. There there was WrestleMania in New Orleans, but I went down Uh, For a wedding, when I stopped at a gas station, there were security cameras all around. There were bars on the window. I went in, and the cashier was behind a clear plexiglass shield that looked like it had been tested with a couple of bullet holes. I had to slide my money under a slot. I noticed a nearby newspaper that had the front-page story of someone who went on a violent, murderous rampage. Back in my car, I noticed down the road a billboard that had most wanted, uh, dangerous Uh, on the lam, violent criminals that were on the loose. I noticed later a sign. I don't know if it's current, but it was a sign from the CDCP, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and it alerted uh, people on the Zika virus travel alert. When I took money out of an ATM in the French Quarter, the screen told me that I should guard the screen to protect my PIN number. It's a personal identification number. Apparently, someone could be looking over my shoulder. After all of this, I thought, man, at what point should I be popping Prozac and breathing into a brown paper bag? Fear, it seems, is all around us. You guys watch the news? Some of you don't. We know who you are. You're clueless. You've got the big C on your forehead, right? Like the kids used to say years ago, you don't know what's happening. But some of you don't just get the news, you're glued to the news. And here's what the news is about. Researchers tell us that there's a part of your brain, I know there's doctors in the room, it's spelled A-M-Y, like Amy, with a G, then Dale, D-A-L-E, Amy G. Dale is how you'd want to say it, but it's Amygdale, and it's a part of the brain that is activated and oriented to fear. And when we watch the news, here's what the news is about, noise, anger, and division. Turn up the volume, stir up the emotions, and what happens is... We get separated from ourselves, from others. We place people into categories. We label them and put them into groups. And they are people unlike us. They are what? They are to be feared. And life itself is to be feared. It's noise. It's anger. It's division. The Abigdale part of your brain is activated and oriented 
to fear when we watch the news. So a question, just giving you some practical help. You drove here today. I want to be able to help you out. Here's something, a question that you probably need to ask yourselves. How can I get news without being glued to the news? Some of you don't get it, the news. Some of you are glued to it. It's like 24-7. And can I just say that's just not healthy? It's just not healthy. I love the newscast, right? Like what what the president do today? What's my stocks up to? What happened in the Middle East? What's the latest school shooting? Terrorist alert, Amber alert. Uh, and then they, at the end, they show a squirrel water skiing, right? Because like all that's bad news. And then it's kind of cool that there's a squirrel that can water ski and it makes you feel better about life itself. But there's news and so much of it is bad. How can I get the news without being glued to the news? One of my favorite pastors, you young people, I don't know if you've heard of him. I'd like to change that. His name is Chuck Swindoll. I would recommend reading anything that he has written. He said this long ago. Worries, remember fear in an age of anxiety. Worries can be mental monsters that crawl into our head, then go to bed with us and steal our sleep. Some worries never seem to take a vacation. Amen, church? Mm, That's one of the louder amens. Here's the thing, you're in good company. Some of you are like, who's Chuck Swindoll? He's like an old guy, okay? Here's the psalmist. And though his language is more beautiful and poetic than yours probably on a daily basis, I bet you can resonate with this, Psalm 55. It's a psalm for the overwhelmed. It says this, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Does anybody pray like that out loud? Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. Because of what my enemy is saying, Because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Anybody remember Southwest Airlines commercials? Anybody remember when Southwest Airlines used to fly out of Jackson? Jackson, Medgar, Edwards, Hillary, Rodham, Clinton, Cougar, Mellencamp, Wally, Brown, International Airport. Is that, did I put enough names in there? Anyway, you know our Jackson Airport, they used to have Southwest Airlines. And Southwest Airlines used to have these, these series of commercials where they would show someone caught in a tight situation. They embarrassed themselves. And then the caption would say, the, sort of the jingle was, the question was, want to get away? And Southwest was there. They know you want to get away. You don't like your life. You don't like your present situation. You want to get away. You want to fly with their cheap airfare and get out of here. And before commercial aviation, the psalmist is saying, I want to get away. I want to fly away on the wings of a dove because I am afraid. Now, his fears were very real. You know, the cave dwelling and the actual enemies who had bow and spear and arrow and that sort of thing. Our fears are different. Backing up just a little bit to what we were talking about, that part of the brain and the news that we watch and receive that we're bombarded with. Do you know, I'm just going to drop some facts on you. You're probably going to resist this. You'll fact check it. Okay, but here's what I want to submit to you today. Studies reveal that we have the highest standard of living ever. Uh, We live longer than ever. And the crime rate is lower than it's ever been. So we are at our healthiest, our wealthiest, and our safest but we're at our most afraid. Now, what a paradox of our time. Could it be that someone, namely you and I, were playing tricks on ourselves? Tell me, though, about your fears. What is real and unreal? 
And as we begin this series, i got a feeling we'll pepper these questions throughout these weeks. But here are three questions to consider. If we were in a small group, you would have to answer out loud. You feel safe, don't you? You're in rows. You're safe. Do you tend to take risks or avoid them? Have you ever known someone who missed out on life because of fear? I'd like to reword number three. The last question is number two, you. Have you missed out? And here's what I want to say to a very young church, and even if you're not young, even if you're, well, old, God still has something for you. He's got that home in heaven, and he still has something for you left to be undone and unsaid and unprayed and unplanned. He does. But look around and see the youth in here. I don't want you to miss life on the sidelines because of fear. I also don't want you to miss this sermon because there's a blinking light, okay? So just let's all look up and just acknowledge it. Some of you are deeply troubled by it, right? I mean, I can see you, right? I can see you and you're not looking at me. You're looking at the light. Jesus is the light, okay? (laughs) So let's look up there. It's blinking. We are, by the way, we've got some electricians coming this week. They've been looking at it. We're trying to solve it. But do you know a time when you were paralyzed by your fears? You're not in a small group, not forced to manufacture something, but can you think of something? Do you know something? We are today going to look at Matthew. We're going to put all the verses up. If you're an open Bible person, I encourage that. Open to Matthew. We're going to flip to 14, back to 10, to 8, to 14 again as we look at, so weave in some stories of Jesus and the lesson that he wanted Um, his followers to learn about this idea. Matthew 14, and you know this. No context here, but I'm going to give it to you later. Always be afraid of a preacher with no context. Context is coming later. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, the disciples that is, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. King James says, thou shalt not be afraid. And in love, I want to tell you this morning, you need some knots. You need some knots in your life. And it doesn't seem like Jesus. Some of us think, well, that's Old Testament stuff. Thou shalt not. Jesus gives us some knots, and you need some knots. Jesus talks about how you don't need to fear. You don't need to worry. You don't need to judge. You don't need to sin. You don't need to doubt. He wants us to believe and trust. He wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to get off the back of people that were nitpicking and negative toward. And he wants us to stop all the worrying and the judging and the sinning. How we doing? And he says, thou shalt not, here's a not that you need, thou shalt not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear constrains us, controls us, and keeps us from living the life that God intended. How are we doing? Here's a hard reality. I don't want to deny it this morning and these weeks ahead in this series. When you are worried and someone tells you, do not worry, what does that do? It, let's say it, it makes it worse, right? If you're sitting next to them, they've told you that recently, they've made it worse, look at them now and tell them you've made it worse. You're making it worse. No, I'm just kidding. But look, it doesn't help, does it? Don't fear. I'm fearful. And you're telling me not to fear. So let's back up in the story. Don't put it up yet. But in Matthew chapter 10, a little bit of context, Jesus had the disciples with him at all times. And they had been with him. That was a glorious thing. Well, what was happening? Good news was being spread. It was multiplying. It was adding it wasn't subtracting or dividing it was growing it was fruitful and lives were being changed and then he says you have been with me this whole time but guess what I'm going to split you up Uh uh-oh 
I'm going to split you up and send you out. And oh, by the way, small print, little detail, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. Oh, but don't be afraid. And then he says to them in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be afraid. Which is it? Jesus. Am I to be afraid? Apparently, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop something on you now that will be throughout this series. Really important. Hope you're dialed in. There is a fear that is greater than every other fear. And we have watered this down. We've euphemized it and we've changed the language. But like you are better. You're a better human. You're a better follower of Jesus. You are more centered if you have a healthy fear of God. Like, that's really important. And these guys are going to learn, and maybe we'll have the opportunity to learn that there is a fear, that when you get that fear right, the fear of God, that everything else pales in significance. So what, I'll give you some tips. I'll share with you in the weeks ahead some things, uh, getting very vulnerable about my own life and fears, disorders that I have. And I'll give you some tips and techniques possibly along the way. But ultimately, it's not going to be five easy ways or six steps here. It's going to be overcoming all that keeps you up with a dominant, overriding fear of the one who has the final word. And that's what Jesus is saying. Like, I don't want to run from that. I don't want to water that down. I don't want to make it something peppier. It is hard to swallow at times. It is difficult. You are left sitting there and wondering if you can believe it. But I want, to, I want, I want that. I want that to rest on you. So in this, Jesus splits them up, pairs them out, pairs them out, splits them up, sends them out, and says, sheep among wolves, don't fear all that. Because sheep among wolves, there's a, there's a chance that the body could be destroyed. For us, it's a story that we study from afar 2,000 years later. For them, it was very, very, very real. So let's back up from chapter 14, from chapter 10 to chapter 8 in Matthew and it says this, and when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. All of you know, I shared it Easter Sunday, last Sunday, but we were at the, in the Holy Land in Israel and at the Sea of Galilee. Here's a picture of the boat that we got on. And we, uh, this is a boat here, modern-day boat in the Sea of Galilee, and it's a, it's a replica. How cool is this? It's a replica of nothing. It's just a boat that some guys built that thought it would sort of look like maybe what Jesus was in and nothing else. It wasn't the boat that Jesus was in. It didn't look like the boat that Jesus was in, but I guess you're made to think that. But there's the boat that we got in, and we sailed the Sea of Galilee. Now, why, let me ask you, did Jesus get into a boat? This is a familiar story is about to ensue, okay? So shake your heads if you've been in church in Sunday school. You're not past this story, right? Because we're going to, at the end, connect it to your life, I hope, in a really real way. But this familiar story that ensues, do you know, can you hearken back and, and tell us why Jesus got into the boat? He got in the boat because of the crowds. 
And a lot of you know I can relate. The paparazzi always hovering around me, you know, attention-seeking, trying to get, you know, a story, trying to find out if I'm walking my dog, picking up my dry cleaning, following me everywhere, right? And I just hop in with my posse. We got six black stretch uh, escalades that we get in, and re- we roll away, right, from the paparazzi. Well, Jesus uh, did not have that luxury. No one's laughing but me. Uh, <laughs> Jesus did not have six tricked-up black escalades to roll away in. What did he do? He got in a boat. He got in a boat to get away from the crowds. And here's the familiar story that ensues. And behold, there's this idea of suddenness. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. These are Jesus' first closest followers and when they knew that they needed him he was asleep so I'm not overreaching when I apply this scripture so there's learn this in seminary I'll teach you a trick observation interpretation application before we run to our application, we got to find out what it says and what does it mean by what it says. That's where it gets tricky and dicey. What does it mean by what it says? And then you apply it. And here's what I want to say to you. In application, if the first closest early followers of Jesus felt like he wasn't there when they needed him, guess what? You and I are going to feel like this in our very own lives. No one is exempt. No one has arrived. Some of you may enjoy seniority at the office, right? You've kind of, you've earned it and you now have a place and you have a corner office and you for years have labored and you had a few breaks along the way, but you're like, you have arrived and you can kind of rest on your laurels. You're thinking of the golden egg and retirement and all of that, right? But that's not true. It's not true of me. It's not true of anybody here. We have not arrived. There's going to be moments in life where you need him. And it could be something sudden. I was talking to someone this weekend who uh, they experienced bad turbulence on a plane, really bad turbulence. And they're waffling between believing in God and not believing in God. And you've heard the saying, there's no atheist in foxholes. Apparently there's no atheist on a commercial flight where there's sudden turbulence. And this person was praying a prayer that Jesus would save them. And they were crying out. And I bet you've experienced something like this in life. If you hadn't, you will. And you have a need. And in this need, it just seems like Jesus is asleep. There was a high school in Louisville, Kentucky, where the cafeteria lady, the lunch lady, I like to say, with her hairnet, she put out a stack of apples and put a sign on the apples, free, take one, but only one God is watching. And another stack, she put out chocolate chip cookies with a sign that says, free cookies, take one, only one God is watching. And a ninth grade boy took the sign off the chocolate chip cookies and said, who wrote a sign? His sign that says, have all you want, God is watching the apples. (laughs) Now I ask you, what do you believe about God? Because no matter where you are, we all have this worldview. Some of you students are studying this now at your respective universities. Like, what's your worldview? Everybody's got a worldview. Everybody's got faith in something, right? So what do you believe? Do you believe that God is watching the apples and the, and the cookies? Or is he just watching the cookies and not the apples? Or is he watching the apples and not the cookies? Or is he not watching anything? Or is he watching everything? Like, what do you believe? The psalmist 
pray this in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? We joke in our day. You go somewhere you don't like where you went and you call it a God-forsaken place. We do that with our rivals. You know, We do that in Mississippi when we go to the other town and we say it's a God-forsaken place. But the psalmist is like, there's nowhere I can go. If I ascend into the heights of heaven, you are there. If I plumb to the depths of Sheol, you are there. Your right hand, they lead me and they guide me. Your spirit is with me everywhere. He sees it all. I suspect in this very real story that Jesus was asleep, kind of like a parent is asleep. And they're listening to their kids. They know what's going on and they're about to exact justice. They're about to bring order into the situation So Jesus is asleep, and you know this. Here is what happens. It says this, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Leave that up. Save us, Lord. We're perishing. And Jesus asked, This is right up there with being asleep. He says, why are you afraid? Um, Jesus, because we're about to drown? Like, don't miss what's so obvious about this. Like, when you are about to drown, you are afraid. You are afraid when you're about to drown. Like, some of you, how many of you, that's your phobia, right? Drowning is, like, not the way you want to go. No hands. Seriously, my wife, thank you. Just some sympathy hands now. People feel sorry for me. But apparently there are people who are afraid of drowning. They just don't come to 11 o'clock at Fondren Church. But anyway, like when you're about to drown, you're afraid. You're afraid. And Jesus asked them, probing and penetratingly asked them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? But then notice what happens. They get it. They're starting to get it, but they don't really get it. We'll talk about the end of the sermon. But here they are. And they're starting to see something here. Because do you see what happened? They were afraid of something. But now they're afraid of something else. Their fear is very real, but it's changed because there is one. There is this man. What kind of, they asked. They marveled saying, what sort of man is this? Do you know the answer? Super. That's the answer. This isn't hard, people. This is a, this is a good story here. This is a man who is super. And he commands the winds and the sea, the waves and the water. They are at his command. This wedding Last night in New Orleans was on Lake Pontchartrain. I was with the father of the bride on Friday night. i got to be careful. He goes here. He comes to church here. He's uh, waking up probably now. New Orleans broke. But um, he stood with me, and on Friday night, he said, Man, you know, the weather doesn't look good, but it looks good for tomorrow night's wedding. But I have to order a tent, and New Orleans doesn't have any tent, so we had to order the tent from Baton Rouge, and it cost $1,000. And so they're bringing in the tent, but we don't really need it. It's really a tent for peace of mind. But apparently some other people thought that we needed the tent. He didn't think so. But a, a parent of the father of the bride knows to sit up, sit down, shut up, and chill out. That's what a, that's what a father of the bride does. So he's writing checks. And so this tent for him was a peace of mind because it was going to be sunny by the time the wedding started. Well, guess what? Last night in New Orleans, the Lake Pontchartrain was cool, not as cold here, as cold as it was here, but it was cool and it was windy. And I mean, there were gusts of wind. And I was worried we had to walk um, probably the length of this sanctuary to get to the tent. So I'm worried about the brides, you know, in their heels walking and just making sure nobody falls, right, that I didn't fall. I'm mostly concerned about me. And uh, like, like 
we needed the tent. And here's, there's a reminder, if you were out in the elements and you made predictions, like we can do just that. We can make predictions. We can stand around and look at our tablets and talk about what the experts have said. We can quote Jim Cantori and Barbie Bassett and all those people, right? But look, there's one and only one who controls it. It's hard adulting, isn't it? You guys adults. And there was a time when you were little and you were like, man, they got this. Like you had like a chauffeur, an ATM machine that lived with you. You had a cook, you know, you had a bodyguard, you had a, a counselor. Like they were, everything was given to you and now you're adulting and you're like, man, who's in control? Because it ain't me. And if they're in control, we're out of control, right? There is one and sometimes you're going to have to get there. And if not, you're living in some hermetically sealed bubble. Okay? There's no adventure in your life. Like, you are risk-averse. But if you live and move and walk and have your being and breathe and follow him on this grand adventure of life, and it's really short. We don't have long, you know? It's short. It's a vapor. It's a mist. You're going to know. You're going to realize. You're going to get to a place where there's only one that can really control. Like, I I didn't choose my height. When I was little, I watched the Brady Bunch, and Bobby didn't like his height, and he went out on the monkey bars, and he like, you know, hung, he put his feet up and wrapped himself and stretched himself head first and tried to grow, stretch his ligaments. Like, I tried that. You know, I'm 5'10". I can't, I didn't, I didn't choose my parents. I love them. I didn't choose my eye color. That was given to me. And suddenly I grow up. Not suddenly, it's sort of slow. There's a slow evolution where you're like, yeah, you think you control all these things. And I'm just, I just realized I don't really control a lot. There's so much out of my control. So this story from so long ago is like, it's immensely valuable to you today in this world. All right, let's continue. To 14. All right, so we're jumping forward again. Another story about Jesus in the water and the disciples. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray When evening came, he was there alone. Again, keep it up. So it says to us, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Why did Jesus have to make the disciples get into the boat? Because they had been in the boat with Jesus, right? Like he had to make them, you follow me? He had had to make them get in the boat because they had been in the boat previously with him. But this time it's different. Okay, same guys, same boat, I'm going to guess, same water for sure. But different wrinkle to this, it's a pretty important one. Jesus is in this story not with them. Jesus was teaching them a lot like how we parent, or I'm going to say should parent, where you're releasing this warrior. You're releasing this young person to become a big person, and they're not going to, you're not going to be with them as much as you used to be with them. And Jesus wanted them to get it. He wanted them to learn, hey, I'm not always going to be with you. I'm watching, and I'll be with you in spirit, but I'm not going to be with you. All the time. And there are going to be times where it seems like I am not with you. And that I am asleep. And Jesus wanted them to learn something here. He dismissed the crowds and he went up. Next verse. 25, 26 of 14. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. Now my group of friends um, on the Sea of Galilee in February. They asked me to do this. Uh, I tried and could not. 
But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they what? They cried out in fear. You see? They were afraid. And Jesus says to them, I want everyone to hear this in church, it's very important. Jesus, how did he respond to them? It's a red letter edition. He said to them, fail, fail, fail. Hope you don't have an open Bible. Fail, fail, fail. Once again, guys, you've let me down. Once again, you didn't get it. You not only failed, you are a failure. I'm done with you. Now, don't laugh. Because that's what you do to you. That's what you do. That's your voice. When he's trying to teach you something. And he's teaching you something over and over again. And he's dropped hints and clues. And you should have got it. And you should have practiced it. But you didn't. And that's your voice saying fail, fail, fail. Not his. Will you hear me today? That's not his voice. Here's what Jesus said. Take heart. It is I. The most common command in all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm holding in my hand a glass of water. I'm holding it out outstretched. If you're listening to the sermon later online this week. Let me ask you, how, how big is the glass? How many ounces would you say? Anybody good at this sort of thing? How many ounces? 12, 14, 8, 6. Okay, a lot of varied responses. Let's go with 8. I don't really know. But let's say it's about 8 ounces. And um, it's, gonna, it's just not heavy. So I'm going to ask you the question, how long can I hold this glass? Any guesses? Y'all know I'm chiseled, right? <laughs> A minute? Ten minutes? An hour? Half a day? You think I could hold it all day? It's not heavy. It's not heavy. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. The longer I hold it, the heavier it gets. That's the same weight, unless I spill it, and I guess there's some sort of microscopic, subatomic sense of evaporation that's happening, but it's not enough to mention. But it gets heavier the more I hold it. I don't know if you ever read Proverbs. Proverbs 12 says that anxiety, fear, it weighs your heart down. And so that thing you brought with you today, whatever it is, and for some of you it's big. For some of you it's big. It's cancer. It's divorce. It's bankruptcy. It's an addiction. It's this shame. It's this fear of being found out. And the longer that you hold it, the heavier it gets. So here's what I've learned in my life, my job is to preach and to pastor. That's what I do. 20, 25 hours a week, sermon preparation. I'm an extrovert, so I have to become an introvert and study and write. 
trim and tie it together and fashion it and flavor it and be ready prayerfully to present it. I preach. But I pastor. Love it. Love you guys. And what I've learned is, though, that especially being a senior pastor, that uh, you bring your glass of water to me. And what's heavy on you at times becomes heavy for me. Hey, can you talk to my son? Try to make sense of why his dad killed himself. Can you and Susan talk to our daughter and tell her why daddy walked out? Hey, this season of unemployment, where is God? And it's just, it can get heavy. And I'm in a group of preachers. And if you love me, you better thank God that I am. And we talk about this very reality. That ministry is like dog years. It can age you. So we've added a third P, me and my brothers. The third P is something so simple it almost is not worth mentioning. Because you're going to dismiss it. But it's pray. It's seeking him and it's transferring what I'm afraid of and what scares me and what's heavy and what keeps me up at night to transferring it to him. So let me ask you about the story. Now we threw up Matthew 14, then we went to 10, then we went to 8, then we went back to 14. So Jesus had a lesson and everybody caught it. Everybody caught it today. Don't be afraid. That's the lesson. But did they learn the lesson? Anybody know? Did they learn the lesson? They didn't learn the lesson. They lied. They denied. They hid. They didn't show up for the funeral. Most of life is showing up. Some of you know this, like, show up. Like, I got two kids in the room. Show up. Like, it's a big deal. Just show up. And they didn't even show up. They lied, denied. They hid. They didn't show up for the funeral. They didn't get it until they saw the resurrected Savior. And then they went from coping, trying to cope with their fears, to like seeing that they could conquer their fears. It's why one of the, one of the most earth-shattering statements in all the Bible and all of literature is Romans 8. One of the most brilliant men who ever lived said that we in Christ are more than conquerors. Like some of you came today thinking, how can I cope? I just want to cope. I just want to cope. I just want to cope. Can I make it? Can I make it tomorrow? I'm just trying to cope. And like there's this, like you can elevate that because like you're not only a conqueror in Christ, you can be more than a conqueror. Like that blows me away. More than a conqueror. So much more. So when you were little, don't miss this. When you were little, your mama taught you a lesson about fear. It was thunder and lightning, and she came in the room and she said to you, Your mom said to you, do not be afraid. And what did she say? She gave you a reassurance, even though she really couldn't. She said to you, there's nothing to be afraid of. That's all she knew to say. That's what a mama says. I'm a daddy. I've said it too. Jesus is different. He says, do not be afraid. There's something to be afraid of. Do you see that? Like, that is so different. And I can say to you, the only thing that can drive out fear is a greater fear. The fear of the one who's conquered everything. Would you stand?